0: Have you here with us? Hopefully, everybody got their coffee before they came in. If you need a pick-me-up, feel free. Just go get it now. I won't take offense to it. I want you alert here, so if you need that, go do it. Um, it's great to have you here with us uh, this morning on a little bit of a dreary day. Uh, for those of you that are guests, I'm John Nicholas, lead pastor here at CCC. And if you're regular here at CCC, it's great to have you here this morning as well. Uh, for those that are parents, uh, many of you know that out in the lobby there's an orange window, and we regularly have things there for. Uh, our parents uh, to give them directions as we want to partner with them in the parenting journey. And I just want to draw your attention to what's there this month, and there's information on the issue of sexuality, and we know our kids are being bombarded by this information, and we want parents to lead the way. We want you to engage in your kids on these sometimes difficult but vitally important subjects. What I have in front of me is a timeline, and it gives you a timeline of things you should be talking about with your kids at every stage along the way. And if you look, pick up the timeline and you say, oh my goodness, I'm way behind. Don't worry, your kids already know what they need to know, you know, even if you didn't tell them. So now you can just jump in and get involved in the game with them. So we want you to be involved in that process with your kids. And our family ministry does a great job partnering with us to be able to do that. Well, it was the prize seat, um, the treasured spot. When it was granted to you, you felt like you had been given special status for no particular reason. You were able to hold it over the heads of your siblings and enjoy it, even if just for a moment. It felt like you were important. You were at the head of the pack. You were the one that was noticed and got everyone's attention. And that took place when you got the privilege to ride the front seat of our VW bus growing up. No, my parents were not deadheads. That's all they could afford as a, pastor's, as a pastor with raising six kids, you know, back in the 70s. My mom drove this bus everywhere. She took us to school every day for about 25 minutes. Uh, She took us on an occasional family trip and everywhere else it was part of family life. When my dad was not riding in the passenger seat my mom wouldn't let him drive that's another story but um, uh, I had an older sister who sometimes would be there but she was quite a bit older and so she eventually got her license and she was off the out of the picture And so when we realized she wasn't going with us, it was a mad dash between the other four of us that were old enough to get to the front seat. And we would find ourselves at the door, crashing into the door, fighting one another off because it was whoever got their butt in that seat first could claim dominance, could claim that they had won and they were able to stake their claim to it. I'm not sure why the front seat was so valuable because it was always cold in the front seat. If you know anything about a VW bus, the only warmth is in the back seat where the engine is down on the floor. That was a preferred seat in the wintertime. It's also, as you can see, there's no engine in the front. So if something hits you, if you hit something, you're dead first. So that really wasn't a value. Um, And mom was right there next to you. And so she could keep her eagle eye on you all the time, whereas in the back you could pound your brother or sister and she couldn't always see it at times. Um, but, you know, moms have eyes in the back of their head, so she somehow could see that too. But what is it about that that drives us, that motivates us, that pushes us to want to be in the front, to want to be at the top, to want to be first in line? I would admit that most people don't mind being at the back of the line, but that seems to creep up a little bit later in life. And if you tell a group of kids to line up, invariably someone's pushing, someone's fighting, someone's calling to get to the front, it doesn't matter how old they are. Does that go away as you get a little bit older? I don't really think it does. You see, the only, you can't control your birth order. You can't control what order of the family you were born. But you can control whether you get to the front of the line or not. I would suggest that for some of us, it's a matter of feeling important, feeling valuable, feeling like we really matter. Um, and this is somewhat universal. And as we get older, we may stop what appears to be fighting to get to the front, but we just do it in more subtle ways coercive, manipulative, deceitful ways. Jesus used the phrase to describe wanting to be in the front seat. And he called it this. He called it being great. Being great. Now most of us, if I would take a poll in this room and say, how many of you want to be great? Most of you would not put your hands up because you're nice people. And you would say, that sounds proud and that sounds arrogant. I don't want to be great. But you know the truth is, Jesus never condemned you for wanting to be great. He never says, don't want, to, don't, don't, don't want to be great. Don't do that. No, Jesus said this. Jesus says, if you want to be great. If you want to be great. Very different than what we tend to think about. If I was to pose this question to a group of preteen and middle school students, how many of you at some time in your life want to be great? Most of them would put their hands up. Most of them would put their hands up. See, some of them are raising their hands at me right now in the room. They don't know that I can see them, you know. Um, but if I were to ask a room full of adults, how many of you want to be great, you might think, oh, I, yeah, I might have wanted that at one time, and it's kind of passed me by, you know, i let somebody else be great. I'm, I'm fine with just not being great. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you want to be great, I'm going to make a path for you. I'm going to show you how to do this. And so we're going to go to class in Jesus' Greatness 101 class, or some might call it Leadership 101 and see what Jesus has to say about being great. If you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, that's where we're going to be this morning. It's page 822. If you're following along in the Bible's in your seat, you can follow along on your phone on an app as well. We're in a series in the book of Mark entitled Simply Jesus. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. And Mark was writing down the eyewitness account as they were recorded for him by Peter. Peter's is is described in many of the events, many of the stories in the book of Mark, Peter is there. He doesn't happen to be there identified by name in this story, but he was there. And he provides an eyewitness account. He doesn't give us a lot of extra details, not a lot of uh, uh, extraneous information, but he wants to make sure we know two things about Jesus. Number one, he wants us to know who he is, that he's the coming king. And number two, he wants us to know why he came, And that's that he came to die. He came to die. And he talks about this over and over and over again. And that's where we're going to jump in this morning. In verse 32 he says this, he said, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Why were they astonished and afraid? Well, if you are here with us last week, uh, Roddy led us through a passage in which he talked about this opportunity that Jesus was offering to his followers. And Jesus said this. He says, following Jesus is going to cost you something. There's going to be a cost to it. But if you don't follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. And I imagine for his disciples, the one that were closest to Jesus, they were a bit astonished because they likely said, we already gave stuff up. More? More? And the followers, the larger crowd... They're feeling a little nervous, like, give up? I I thought this was just a cool guy that we were following. This was the end thing. Everybody was here. Now you're talking about sacrificing and giving something up? That seems a bit scary. As this unfolded, Jesus pulled his 12, 12 guys that he picked out, handpicked. He took them aside and he says, guys, I need to tell you what's coming. And so he goes on to describe that in verse 33. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that's myself, that's Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. They're going to hand me over to them. They will condemn me to die and will then hand me over to the Gentiles. And they're going to mock, spit on me, flog me, and kill me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. It's not the first time Jesus has said this. It's the third time in three chapters. If you look back, in the middle of chapter 8, he says it. At the end of chapter 9... Or excuse me, at the end of chapter 8 he says it. The middle of chapter 9 he says it. And now he says it again. It's as if he's trying to prepare them for something. Hold on, there's a sharp turn coming. Things are going to be a little tight for a while. Life's going to get a little crazy. But I'm not sure they heard what Jesus had to say. I can almost kind of picture them. They're like, "Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, uh-huh. We're going to Jerusalem." Yeah, I know we're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, we're going to Jer- Yeah, that's right. We're all going to Jerusalem. Kind of picture them all preoccupied with something. Um, you say, What do you mean, John? Because Jesus told them what was about to unfold. And they didn't say, What? They didn't say, how, how do you know? They didn't say, That sounds horrible. They didn't say, What can we do to prevent this? They didn't say, Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you've, you've healed people. You've raised somebody from the dead. You've done all these miraculous things, and now they're going to have more power than you when you have power over everything that nobody has power over? Instead, what did you hear? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. They said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Give us what we want. It's a little bit like you sitting down with your middle schooler and you telling them something very important is going to happen. Or you telling them about something very tragic that happened. And you tell it and you're waiting for their response and they say, um, can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? That, that's literally what they do here. You know, they, They're not aware at all what Jesus is saying. All they care about is who? Themselves. Themselves. And they say, Jesus, can you do something for us? And, and I'm always amazed at Jesus' response. I'm always amazed at his response. Because he doesn't shake them like, guys, did you hear what I just said? Do you know what's coming? He, he doesn't do any of that. That's what I would, you know, parents, that's what we do. Didn't you hear what I just said? How many times have you said that as a parent? You know, you know, lots, right? Lots. But, but no, he's like, oh, what do you want? What do you want? what do you want? And they tell him. They said, hey, can I be first in the, can I get the front seat? Can, can I get the front seat on the bus? Can I get the front seat? Can I can I be here? And James and John, can, can I be here and he be here? Can I sit at the right hand and the other one sit at the left hand? And your glory, now I know you're going to have to die and suffer and get, you know, get beat up and crucified until and, you get there, but when you get there, can I be there? Can I be there? You know, the right hand and left hand, that's What's described as a, the place of authority, the place of significance, the place where you really matter. It's the next in line to the throne. I mean, in our culture, we, in, our, in our political system, we have the president, and then who is next in authority after the president? The who? The vice president. And who's next in authority after the vice president? Anybody know? Speaker of the House, right? The right hand and the left hand. And that's what these guys are saying. They're like, can, can, can I get the seat on the bus? Can, can you let me be? Can I ride there? When you get there, can I ride there? And, um, you know, Jesus goes on to respond to them by saying this. He says, guys, you, you, I hate to tell you, but you're kind of clueless. You don't have any idea what you're asking for. No idea. And he says, can you drink the cup I drink? You're like, what do, you, what do you mean drink the cup? Does drink out of the same cup, share the cup? What is, what's he talking about? You know, The word cup is a word that's used all throughout literature of that day to refer to suffering. And so you could put the word suffering. Can you, can you suffer with the suffering that I'm about to suffer with?
1: That's
0: literally what he's asking. He said, are, are you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready to suffer in the way that I am going to suffer? And then he says, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And he's not talking about what we've been discussing the last few weeks and what we've done where people have been placed under the water because they want to follow Jesus' example. The word baptize literally means to immerse, to place fully under the water. And that's why we baptize that way. And so he's literally saying, and that word was not translated from the original language, he's literally saying, or or be immersed with the immersion of, that I'm about to be immersed with. And so what's, Je- what's Jesus mean? It's basically saying, guys, guys, are, are you ready for this? This, this is no step, stepping your toe in and seeing if the water's cold and coming out. This is not going in knee deep and saying, oh, that's a little chilly. I think I'm going to back out. Or, you know, getting up to the waistline and, you know, you kind of get past the, the important parts and get past the waistline. You're like, that's a little chilly. And then you back up a little bit. No, 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 no. This is all the way in, deep dive, down under, and you're like, are they going to let me up? Are they going to let me up? Are they going to, okay, Ooh, that was close. I didn't know if I was going to make it. That's what Jesus is saying to these guys. He's like, guys, do you, do you realize what you're asking? You're asking to suffer. You're asking not just to step your toe into suffering, you're asking to be fully dunked into suffering. And the disciples, just like middle school bulls who are like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. When are we going to start? When are we going to do this? Yes, yes, we can, they answered. We can do that. When do we start? When do we start? Sounds like fun, you know. Sounds like he's talking to some middle school boys, doesn't he? You know. Jesus says to them, it's coming. You're going to drink. You're going to suffer. You're going to be dunked in fully. It's coming. It's coming. And history tells us that. If you look at the history of what happened to the disciples of Jesus Christ, the 12 guys, um, all of them went through this. All of them faced horrific kinds of suffering because of their devotion to follow Jesus. Nearly all of them, I think except John, who died on an abandoned island, um, they suffered horrible deaths because of their devotion to follow Jesus. But this wasn't the question they asked, was it? Jesus still hasn't answered their question. He still didn't answer them. They said, can we get the seats on the bus? And Jesus is like, well, you got something else coming. They're like, okay, and okay. But then he goes on to say, but to sit at my right or left, ah, sorry, guys, I can't give you that one. That's not up for me to decide. Someone else is going to decide that. It's already been determined. Not my place to grant that. He didn't say it, but other places says that's only for God the Father to give that privilege. So as Jesus finishes this conversation with the disciples, somehow the other disciples heard. It says, the ten heard about this, the other ten disciples who weren't here. And we're like, how did they hear? We don't really know. We don't know if Jesus went up to the other ten and said, You are not going to believe what those two knuckleheads asked me for today, you know? We don't know if somebody else heard and kind of spilled the beans and said, Did you hear? Did you hear what James and John asked? We don't know if James and John came up to him and said, you're not going to believe it, because they weren't listening anyways, right? That James and John weren't paying any attention. You're not going to believe it. Jesus said, we get the seats on the bus. You know, no, that, you know, we get to suffer. Isn't that exciting? I can't wait, you know. That's probably not what they heard. Because the other 10 guys, they came and they were ticked at James and John. They were ticked. I don't know if they were ticked off that they didn't think about it themselves I don't know if they ticked off that they missed the opportunity. I don't know if they were ticked off because James and John left them out. But the, the heart of the issue is James and John, they wanted to be great, right? They wanted to know they mattered. They wanted to know they were important. That's what Jesus was speaking to. And Jesus then speaks to all of them. And look what he says. He called them all together and he says, come here, guys, come here. Come here, we got to talk about this. we got to talk about this. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials, they exercise authority over them. Jesus is talking not about the religious leaders, not about the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the Jewish community, but he's talking about the political leaders, the Roman, lo- Roman leaders. That's who he's talking about. And he says, guys, how do they lead? How do they lead? They lord it over you. They make sure you know that they are in charge. They are large and in charge. You do what you are told. You don't ask questions. You just follow orders and you get it done. And then you say, What do I have to do next? What do I have to do next? They're bossy. They're arrogant. They're self righteous. They're demanding. They're self serving. They're egotistical. They're pompous. They're selfish. They're all of those things, is what Jesus says. That's how the people, that's the model of leadership, the model of greatness that surrounds you is people that it's all about who? Them. Them. And I love this next phrase that Jesus says in verse 43. Look at those first four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. If you ever get a chance to lead, if you ever get a chance to be in charge, if you ever get a chance to be the boss, if you ever have anybody that's following you and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, he says, not so with you. It should be different. It should be different. And you say, what should it look like? If that's not what leadership is all about, what should it look like? He goes on to say, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. It's as if Jesus says, whoever wants to be great should offer to serve, not expect to be served. Should offer to serve, not expect to. To be served? Are you offering to serve or expecting to be served? Jesus says, Greatness is not fighting your way to the top, but it's offering to serve instead of expecting to be served. Greatness is not about fighting to be the captain of the team, it's offering to serve instead of expecting to be served. Jesus says, Greatness is not about bullying others to get your way or to push your way to the top, it's offering to serve, not expecting to be served. Greatness is not about being the first in line. It's offering to serve, not expecting to be served. Jesus says to his followers, what would this look like in every part of your life? Every part of your life. Guys, what would it look like with your wife to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? Students, what would it look like with your parents to offer to serve Instead of expecting to be served? What would it look like, students, with your younger siblings to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? What would it look like in school tomorrow with your classmates to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? What would it look like with your coworkers tomorrow to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? What would it look like towards the volunteers that are here every week to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? What would it look like for the cashier, for the waiter or waitress when you go out to lunch this afternoon, for you to offer to serve instead of expecting to be served? What would that look like? What would it look like? Jesus goes on to say, whoever wants to be first whoever wants to be first anybody in here want to be first occasionally be honest a few of you you're in church the rest of you are lying you know i want to be first in the grocery line you know i want to be first in the line at walmart i don't have to wait in the self-checkout you know i want to be first at the traffic light right so it's green boom i can i want to be first i'm just honest i want to be first you know we all have things in life that we would like to be the first one. You're in a hurry, right? You want to be first, so you get waited on before everybody else, right? We all have those things in life. Jesus doesn't say you should not want to be first. That's selfish and rude of it. He never says it. He never says it. He says if you want to be first, guess what you got to do? You have to be a slave of all slave of all earlier he used the word servant when I think of the word servant I think of someone who takes care of things in a house you know they tidy things up you know they, they cook the meal they got their own little house out back you know they're well taken care of that's what I think of when I think of a servant when I think of a slave it's pretty awful it's pretty awful Does a slave have any rights? Yes or no? What do you think? No. Does a slave get to decide what they do? Yes or no? No. Does a slave get treated well if they treat other people well? No. 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 Translators chose to use this word slave, which I think is a really powerful word for us to look at. And then he says, I don't just want you to be a slave and a servant to the people that treat you well. We all like to serve the people that treat us well, don't we? We all like to serve the people that we serve them. And they're like, oh, thank you. That was so kind of you. That was so generous. And you're like, oh, I feel so nice, you know. But Jesus doesn't say, I want you to be a slave, a slave of all the people that treat you well. It's not what he says. He says, I want you to be a slave of Who? Say it a little louder. I want you to be a slave of who? Slave of who? All. 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 What does it look like for you to be a slave? For you to serve and not expect to be served? To people that don't appreciate you. What does it look like to you to be a slave of people that Never tell you thank you. Someone look like to be a slave of people that appear to take you for granted. Anybody know what I just described? I just described being a parent, didn't I? Right? You can all nod your head, parents, right? You can all nod your heads, that's right, right? You feed them, you change their poopy diaper, they don't, thank you. Yeah. You know, they don't do that. You know, they just do it again, right? <laughs> wow, I want more food, right, you know? Get them dinner. Get them. Get them their meals every day. Do you ever get thanks, mom? No. You know. Get them the teenage years. You take care of them. You provide for them. You help them with everything that they need. You never get a thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Every once in a while, you do, and you're like, "Are you okay? You know, check their forehead. You know. You're like, can I record that? Because I don't know when I'll hear it again. I just want to save it for posterity's sake, right? That's parenting, isn't it? Isn't it? That's parenting. But why do you do this? Why do you give up all of these things? Why do you serve them for all of these years? Why do you do that with your kids? Why? Tell me. Love them, right? You love them. And Jesus says, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant, not just of the people you love, But of everyone. Of everyone. And then he closes with this very powerful statement. Verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. Think about that for a moment. The Son of God, the creator of the world, the savior of all of mankind, Seated at the right hand of the Father, redeemed all of creation. If anybody deserved to be served, if anybody should have had someone waiting on him hand and foot, if anybody deserved to say, Can you do this for me? I would argue with you it was him. It was him. But he didn't come here for that reason. That's not why he came. Tells us why he came in the second first, second half. But to give. To give. It's the idea of trading something. He traded something. He traded his life, his perfect life, his relationship with the Father, his unity and oneness with the Father, his fellowship with the Father. He traded all of that for me and my sinfulness. As a what? As a ransom. As a ransom. When you pay a ransom, you do what? You give up something, right? You give up money, right? Because of something you treasure, you value. It speaks to Jesus' view of me and you. That He loves you and that He loves me so much, He was willing to come to this earth. And to sacrifice his life so that you could begin a relationship with Jesus. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. He gave it all up for you and for me. And he invites you into a relationship with him. He says, Will you come? And follow me. Will you give your life, like Roddy talked about last week, will you give it all up for me? And he says to us today, he says, the way that you take a step towards that, the way that you walk in that, the way you live this out day in and day out, is for you not to be served. Is for you to serve and not expect to be served. For you to serve and not expect to be served. I don't think it's any accident that when Mark laid this out, he begins with Jesus going to the cross, telling his followers he's going to suffer and die. And then he says, this is how you experience greatness. This is how you experience leadership. This is how you get to the top. Not by fighting and calling and manipulating, controlling and demanding, But by putting a towel over your arm and saying, how can I serve? And then he ends by talking about Jesus being a ransom for many. I wonder who in your life this week, Jesus is calling you to serve. In which it might feel like you are suffering. It might feel like you are being a parent to that person. Because they don't thank you. They don't show any appreciation. They don't turn around and do anything for you. They may even treat you very badly in spite of all that you have done. If you and I can choose to do that this week, that is what following Jesus is all about. And it's not easy. And it's not a walk in the park. And it may feel like you are our suffering, and dying. Just like Jesus did for you. I'm going to invite you as we close to bow your heads. And, and as we do, I, I, I want you to take a moment and just meet with God. Um, if He's told you who you're supposed to serve, my challenge is for you just to Be willing to say, God, I'm going to try that this week. You know how much I don't want to. You know how much I'm dreading it. I'm going to give it a shot and say, God, help me. God, help me. And if you're not sure who that is, maybe right now you're just saying, God, who do you want me to serve just like you served? Who do you want me to put first? Who do you want me to serve and not expect to be served this week? God, I'm pretty convinced that you have someone for likely every person in this room. Um, It could be a neighbor that treats you badly. It could be a kid at school that you avoid at all costs. It could be a coworker, always takes advantage of you. It could be a family member, just treats you badly. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to serve and not expect to be served? God, we can't do that on our own. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, you all can stay seated. And as we uh, close with this last song, just take time to reflect. As John was saying, we spend some time in prayer. We reflect on the lyrics of the song. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus, all its joys are but the name, but his love abides forever. Oh uh-huh. Light above, crowned with there's life above, crowned with there's life, life above.
0: Incredible love on our behalf. Love that was so undeserved, love that was demonstrated by sending your one and only son to give his life as a ransom for many. And so God, as we go about this week, as we seek to serve and not expect to be served in relationships, in situations, in settings where we can't do this on our own, that we need you, I ask that you would help us to make that a reality. In your name we pray. Amen.